Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Centenary Stories with Mario Andretti in association with the Goodwood Revival. Welcome everybody to this special edition of the Motorsport Podcast. This is part of our 100th anniversary series that marks a very significant year in the history of the original racing magazine. To celebrate motorsport hitting the magic ton and its founding as the Brooklyn's Gazette in the summer of 1924, we'll be bringing you a very special podcast every month throughout 2024. We've invited some gilt-edged motorsport heroes and some long-time friends of the magazine to relive the key moments of their racing lives. I'm your host, Rob Widows, and today my special guest is Mario Andretti. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Yeah, you're amazing. You're amazing. You never change. It's extraordinary. Yeah, right. hundred years later. <laughs> yeah, I know. Whatever you're on, man, I want some. Look, uh, before, I, before we talk about some of your career, Mario... I want to ask you about Motorsport Magazine, because you spent a lot of time in Europe, and I'm thinking that you must remember Dennis Jenkinson. Oh, indeed. <laughs> Do you have any memories of Jenks? Because he was, he was a real hustler, wasn't he? I mean, he, he, uh, he was in the, up and down the pit lane all the time. Rob, I, I first became aware of Dennis Jenkinson in 1955, when I watched the Mille Miglia, well, yes, of course, when he was riding with uh, with Sterling, wow. and uh, I I saw that in person at the Futa Pass in uh, in Tuscany, and uh, with my brother Aldo, and uh, that was uh, quite a memorable moment, you know. To, see that Mercedes just roar by and his head was bubbling, you know, <laughs> uh, it, into the wind. And, uh, and the first opportunity that I had to talk about it was sometime I don't remember exactly the, the moment, uh, might've been, I don't know, even a brands or something, you know, when I, uh, I think I first drove uh, brands in a sports car before I did in Formula One, and uh, but it never, nevertheless, you know, I was really a, a very welcome meeting with him, uh, and uh, and that's how actually I uh, got to uh, to chat with Sterling, you know, right, uh, yeah. later on, and he was so surprised that uh, I knew about this, and uh, and and again, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was interesting uh, moments here for me, uh, but also I think they were themselves very surprised that uh, actually I had seen them, you know, in real time. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so we go way back. You're you're the only man I've ever spoken to who was who actually watched. That's incredible. It's a great story, and of course, I. Rightly or wrongly, I I kind of consider you as an Italian racing driver. <laughs> well, Rob, uh, you know, I always say uh, the passport does not change the blood. I mean, I was born and raised uh, in Italy, and uh, and again, you know, I am Italian, uh, Italian expatriate into the U.S. I'm grateful for what the U.S. has provided for us as a family, the opportunities and so forth. But, um, you know, going back to what I appreciate, for instance, uh, in Formula One, I think it's uh, 
something very special for any driver to win the home Grand Prix. And in 1977, I won the U.S. Grand Prix at, at the Long Beach. But later on that year, I won the Monza Grand Prix, which is my native. So I won my home Grand Prix and the native Grand Prix. Um, you know, here again, lie and never to be. I actually, um, I was uh, uh, recognized by the uh, Italian government when it gave me the title of commendatore, wow. uh, just like uh, Mr. Ferrari uh, obviously has. And that was something uh, very proud from my standpoint. This happened in 2006. And, uh, and I just wish that my father was still with us. Uh, yeah. So he could have been, uh, he would have been, I mean, his chest would have been <laughs> out to here, you know, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to, to witness that. And, uh, but anyway, good, good stuff in, in my life. Uh, these are uh, moments that were very, been very precious, of course, as you can imagine. I can, because winning the Italian Grand Prix at Monza is especially wonderful for you, because I think... I think it was going to watch Ascari at Monza in the early 50s that first fired you up into motor racing, wasn't it? Indeed, indeed. It was actually in 1954 at age 14, which was the year before uh, the Mille Miglia. And uh, Aldo and I, my, my twin brother, uh, they just we talked some uh, friends to take us to Monza to see and uh, the Grand Prix firsthand, and uh, of course, uh, here we were, you know, just uh, witnessing Alberto Ascari. It was uh, the, the one and only, I think, Italian uh, world champion. I'm, I guess, number two, uh, you know, with certain degree of pride, but uh, he was, uh, you know, he was one of the early inspiration, you know, for, uh, for Aldo and myself you know, to pursue uh, this career, even though at the time I said this a million times, it was the absolute impossible dream, you know, indeed. But uh, uh, we not did not allow that to deter, you know, just uh, our uh, ambition and, uh, and our drive, you know, to continue to pursue this. And um, then, of course, the dream became a reality. You know, uh, thank you to, um, you know, many negatives that became positive, so to speak, you know, yeah. because uh, at the time we were displaced because of World War II. So uh, the opportunities would certainly would not have been there in Italy for us, uh, but it became a reality uh, in, in the States because two years after we arrived in the States in 19, while well, we arrived in 1955, actually, uh, a month later, a month after the Mille Media, we are, uh, you know, we, we arrived in June in 1955 in America. And two years later, Aldo and I started building a race car, which actually was the beginning of, uh, of both our careers. I was going to ask you about emigrating to, to America because you, the early part of your life in Italy, I mean, I mean, motor racing is a religion in Italy. I mean, Ferrari is bigger than the Pope, you know, <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that. And here you are, you're a teenager uh, transported to America. What was your first step onto the first rung? Was it midget car racing? Yes. Well, no, actually, it was uh, <clears throat> what they call a stock car, which was a modified, you know, uh, street car, uh, which has been was very popular, you know, in many of the tracks, local tracks, uh, um, which were uh, which were uh, horse race tracks transformed into uh, for motor racing. Uh, they were, you know, dirt tracks, as they called it. Um, and uh, Nazareth, the town where I still live today, um, they had a, a very popular half a mile dirt track. And uh, you know that uh, we arrived here on a Thursday and uh, Sunday night, we were having just after dinner with uh, my uncle's house. And uh, in the background, Aldo and I would see this bright lights at the south ed edge of town. And all of a sudden, a huge roar of engines exploded. 
and we looked at each other and, and, you know, we just booked foot, you know, it's about a mile or maybe mile and a half uh, down. And, uh, and here we witness uh, go looking, peeping through the, you know, the, you know, the rails there. And uh, we see these uh, brutal looking stock cars, you know, that, uh, and the last time we saw race cars with the mid media and it was in Monza with Formula One. So uh, these things look sort of weird, but, you know, we looked at ourselves and, and the first thing that came to mind, I said, you know what, this is doable. We can probably do this ourselves. And two years later is when we started building, we obviously assembled with some friends and I always say, you know, you got the geek along the way, the guy that knows everything which really guided the, us in the right direction. And, um, and we started building. We started building uh, this car for the, uh, uh, and, and actually the objective was to, to drive, you know, to, to have it ready uh, by the time we were 21. At the time we were 17 and we figured we got plenty of time to, but the car was finished two years later in 1959 we were 19 and you had to be 21 legally to get uh, to be able to, to, to drive professionally in America at the time. And uh, so we befriended uh, uh, someone who was the editor of the local newspaper to do uh, to do something fudge the birth date on our license uh, driver's license. And uh, and then we then we fibbed also we said that we were telling that. Uh, we used to race in Italy, Formula Junior, you know, when the Stanguellini. <laughs> it's a story that followed us, and I could not, you know, get rid of it for years later because <laughs> and they kept talking about, you know, they, oh, yeah, they come from Italy. And then uh, our family and still and friends still in Italy says, uh, bugger all guys I said we don't you little devils I don't we didn't remember that you were racing when we we were here I said, no. <laughs> they thought because we we named it uh, we raced uh, the Stanguellini in uh, Ancona you know because I know that they had uh, they, they, they they had actually Count Lorani the uh, actors you know the FIA the chief in Italy you know he, he started that and it was for real but, but anyway, this was one of the stories there that, uh, and we began, uh, my career actually began in 1959 and um, it was uninterrupted through, uh, you know, basically my last uh, professional race was uh, 24 hours of Le Mans in 2000. But going back to your question, uh, that was, the start was with a stock car and uh, actually, uh, I had three of them before. By the time I was 21, though, and uh, we, um, we, you know, we got a midget, and I started driving. I drove a midget, a three-quarter midget, which was indoor racing, and I won the biggest race uh, of the season, a hundred lapper in Teaneck, New Jersey, with uh, one of the top uh, midget drivers, Len Duncan, finishes second to me, and that earned me a ride in a full-size midget, you know, the following season and on and on. So uh, it was basically, you know, just uh, uh, progressing through the ladder system, if you will, yeah. you know, the midget, then getting, then I, I won, you know, with a full-size midget. Um, in fact, I, I, in at Labor Day 1963, uh, I won three feature races in one day, which has never been done before. And, um, and so that propelled me to the next level. I uh, got a ride then in USAC at the top level, you know, USAC sprint cars where uh, I was driving against uh, the top drivers, you know, at Indian, in, uh, the circuit, at the top circuit in Indianapolis. Uh, and, um, and then I won uh, uh, also uh, one of the big races uh, at Salem, Indiana with uh, A.J. Foyt, Don Branson, McCluskey, all the top drivers there. And I won that and that and sort of that piqued some curiosity. And uh, after a fatality, one of the teams, they needed a driver and I, and I got a test 
you know, I, one of the top three teams in uh, IndyCar racing at the time was the Dean Van Lines team. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and so things progressed, as you could see, uh, just moments. I always look back, what if this wouldn't have happened? What if that wouldn't have happened? And, and here I got, you know, like my, my top level um, sort of uh, promotion, if you will, was due to a, a fatality. You know, it's, a, it's a unfortunate, but that's the way a lot of things were in those days. And, um, you know, a seat was open. And actually, the choice was between uh, Roger Penske and myself. And Roger Penske was an active driver at the time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, as you know, and uh, and then for, he had he had the first dip on this, you know. But uh, um, he fortunately had a, a business meeting that uh, he had to attend. So uh, I was the one. Okay, then we'll we'll test Mario, and. Uh, and and that's it. I got the job, you know. So and Roger talks about this often, you know. He said Mario never thanked me enough for that. <laughs> well, Roger's done okay since then, hasn't he? <laughs> done, done, yeah, Roger always does okay. Yes, indeed. Um, those dirt, those uh, dirt tracks. That they were they were dangerous, and uh, as you as you say, you know, there were there were horrible accidents. And I, I read in uh, Motorsport magazine, you did a, an interview with Nigel Roebuck, and you said you said that Langhorn was the one circuit that you found intimidating. Um, what, what was it about that place, Mario? Well, the place claimed in the life of that circuit, you know, uh, that track, it claimed 52 lives. Whoa. 52 drivers and uh, and the uh, actually the year before uh, I got to drive the champ car you know which was a national championship race in 1964 um, I was there as a spectator uh, you know in the infield I was looking for a ride and uh, and actually uh, uh, there was a fatality there Bobby Marvin was killed there in turn two and then I watched him burn to death and then I got his ride. I got his ride uh, the following weekend at the in Allentown, Pennsylvania. You know, with a car that was just still charred. You know, so I mean, Jeez. and in 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 then later, you know, when I got the job in '64, you know, that that I told you for the top level was just before Indianapolis. But uh, my the chief. And mechanic actually the, the team principal was Clint Brauner and he was uh, a very astute individual and and he said you're not ready for for Indy I said uh, bypass Indy this year and we'll just do several races you know to get you ready for a full go the following season 65 and he says well I'll see you after Langhorn and Langhorn was the second race after Indianapolis and which I did, I did Milwaukee with, uh, but he didn't want me to drive a Langhorn, and and that's when I told Nigel, I says that that's the only race. When I found a ride with somebody else, by the way, you know, I didn't blame <laughs> him because he lost his driver Jimmy Bryan two years earlier at Langhorn, you know, so he didn't want me to drive there. But uh, I found a ride there, and. Um, uh, with the Lee Glessner was another, you know, one of the other competitors. And that, and my objective there was to beat the driver that he had, Bob Madhauser, in the Dean Van Line car, which, which I did, actually. I finished ninth and finished 10th. But, but uh, you know, going back to what Nigel said, this is the only race that the night before I was really, really apprehensive, only because all the talk about, you know, the danger aspect of it. And I had never driven it before, uh, you know, and the, the thing that saved me quite a bit, actually the chief mechanic at the time was a retired, one of the sprint car champions locally, uh, Tommy Hinnerschitz. And he was the chief mechanic sort of uh, on the car. And he's the one that gave me some, uh, you know, really good advice about, certain areas of the track, you know, how to approach it and so forth, which uh, 
without that, I think I might have made some really terrible mistakes because I was all so gun ho, you know, charged. Yeah. <laughs> the, the especially qualifying, you know. So as you could say, you know, these were certain incredible moments in right. my career when, uh, and I remember like yesterday, you know, just uh, because of, uh, uh, you know, the, because how important it was, you know, and, right. and the fact that I appreciate uh, the guidance that I received at the time, uh, if you can, you know, if you can see that. Um, so again, you know, that's the story, but uh, that was a uh, one track that again was really dangerous because because you were sideways almost all the time. It was uh, had only one short straightaway, and and I mean you were just driving with the throttle basically, and uh, and it was one area in turn two they used to call it. It was very bumpy. It was always getting very rutty, you know, and yeah. uh, so you had to power through it. Yeah, I mean if you backed off, you know, you just generally flip so you had to just grit your teeth and just power through it you know and, and uh, i remember my i i actually i tell you i i was the first car now i finished ninth first car to finish without a power steering everybody else you know then they had you know power steering which is a bit different and my hands were like almost bloody you know with, with the blisters you know hanging on tight to the steering wheel so it was quite memorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me how you, right from the word go, you dealt with the danger that was so uh, much a part of motor racing back then, way more than today. Is it just a matter of deciding it won't happen to me or what? How do you deal with that? Well, I dealt with it by not dealing with it, <laughs> you know, by... You know, just uh, I did not dwell on that fact. And uh, you almost, uh, you know, had to say to yourself, you know, you're you're just in, in the hands of divine providence. I had an uncle priest that, uh, you know, was uh, part of our lives. And, and I said, you, he's going to look after me. You're going to look after me, you know, after you, after he passed. And uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I just, I, I was driven Rob was so much passion and love for what I was doing that uh, uh, nothing was going to deter me. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, along the way, I lost some of my closest friends, you know, in the sport. And, uh, you know, I hate to even talk about it, but, uh, you know, it's at the beginning of those seasons, especially, you know, when I got to the sprint cars and so forth, um, we at the driver's meeting, we used to look around and that sometimes you wonder, I wonder who's going to be here at the end. We used yeah. to lose four to six drivers every year. One year in 1964 in a sprint car, in two races, we lost two drivers. We lost four drivers in yeah. two different races. And one was my teammate. And, and, and you had to just move on. It was terrible in every possible way because you can never get used to that. I've been accused many times, oh, yeah, you have a thick skin, you know. I said, no, no, I have a soul and I have a heart. And uh, But you had to just sort of just move on from it. Uh, you know, I married uh, very young and uh, I had a wonderful lady uh, and my wife that, um, you know, she was she married into it. She was not a race fan by any means, but you could see, I felt in some ways, even after I came out of the cockpit, I realized how she suffered inside by not showing it too, because that would have been a deterrent for me, you know, to feel guilty and all that. And, and I realized how strong of a lady she was, you know, just by hiding all that. You know, those concerns because we lost friends, you know, the young married, you know, couples that, you know, the, the principal, you know, like Billy Foster, my best friend, when he died, we were very close to a family, he had two kids, young kids like we did. And you know what I mean? It was something that was real. But, you know, there was a period where, unfortunately, that's the sport was could be very cruel, as you know, um, in, in in every category for that yeah, matter. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, but um, you know, if you dwelled on that, uh, there's no way that you could uh, you know you could do it. You had to sort of put it aside and mm. and thank the good Lord, you know, that you were spared at different times, you know, and that's the only way you can put it. As, as you won more and more races, and obviously your goal was the Indy 500, would it be fair to say that your ultimate ambition was always Formula One? Yes, that's fair to say, you know, because uh, that's where my love for the sport began. Let's face it, all along. And I can tell you this, and I, and I'll repeat what I've said several times that uh, in 96, first of all, my objective was to win the championship, not just Indy. Indy was, yes, of course, you know, because of uh, the value of the exposure, sure. you know, and everything else. But for me, winning the national championship was the objective. And I was fortunate enough to do that in my very first year in 65, my first full year. But at, uh, at Indianapolis, that's when uh, I got to meet Colin Chapman and Jim Clark because, you know, eventually he won the race and I finished third. <laughs> and uh, at the banquet, the following Monday, you know, at the end of the banquet, yeah, uh, yeah. we were saying our goodbyes. And, uh, and I said, uh, Colin, I said, Colin, someday I would like to do Formula One. And he said, Mario, Whenever you think you're ready, you call me. I will have a car for you. <laughs> Rob, can you imagine how I felt? And, you know, and from there on, it was the objective was to try to, you know, to, to do some road racing as much as possible. And as fate would have it, actually, I, I, I did quite a bit of lobbying myself, even for the series. But in 65, they had one road race in that you know, in the IndyCar series, mm, yeah. which I won. I won that over A.J. Foyt. And so that was, you know, that gave, gave me a sense of comfort there that uh, uh, we're going in the right direction. But then I enrolled and I, I uh, expressed a desire to be part of uh, the Ford Le Mans program, right. which uh, they were doing a lot of, obviously, a lot of testing and so forth, which would have meant a lot of miles that I could put under my belt and and, and learn, you know, obviously uh, uh, the characteristics and, and uh, of, of road racing. And, and, and I was fortunate enough that uh, one of the drivers there was uh, Bruce McLaren, who was part of it, among others. And uh, he and I, I befriended Bruce, uh, you know, because he was a good guy, but also, uh, you know, for the, the reasons of, uh, of being able to just, uh, you know, pick his brain. Uh, as much as possible and then watch. He was a very technical driver, very, very uh, useful for me, you know, to observe uh, his style and so forth. And uh, because I had, I think I had the high speed pretty well <clears throat> captured myself, but it was just a technical part of uh, the, you know, the, the uh, hairpins and so on and so forth. And uh, <clears throat> so it, it was very valuable for me as you could see, and then, and and he actually, we won Sebring in nineteen sixty-seven together, you know, with a Mark IV Ford, and um, then sixty-eight, I felt it's time. And uh, as the end of the Formula One season was approaching, I called Colin. I said, Colin, I would like to do the last two races of the season, Monza and Watkins Glen, and he said, Mario, I will have a car for you. Wow, and and he set up a test in Monza. It was uh, <clears throat> a week before the race, and uh, and I did a test, and I actually I felt so good about how I feel about the Lotus Forty Nine. It was uh, it was just such a sincere race car, and uh, from the experiences that I've had up to that point, which were basically you know uh, sports cars, prototypes, and and uh, and a bit. And the Indy car on the road course was, uh, you know, much heavier and not as responsive because the characteristic of the car, yeah. you know, was was sure. built more versatile. So <clears throat> anyway, we were in Monza, and uh, in fact, uh, I keyed myself, you know, in the time because uh, two days before Ferrari had a test with Chris Amon 
And, and actually, at the end of the test, I was a bit quicker than him. So I figured, I'm in the ballpark, you know, and I felt really good about it. But there was a, there was a problem potentially here because um, the, the, this, uh, the Saturday of the Monza race, I had a championship race <laughs> to be run in India. It was a dirt track race in, in <laughs> Indiana. They called the Hoosier Hunter. It was a, a, a point race for the championship. And I was going for the championship. At the, you know, I was leading the championship at the time. And, uh, and so uh, I, you know, I worked out the potential, you know, to, so they would, uh, uh, um, uh, so, so I, there was a 24-hour rule. You know, and 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 IndyCar actually at the time was actually under FAA auspices as well. So and uh, and they had agreed to, uh, you know, to uh, you know to, to still let me do it, and uh, and so I qualified for the Monza. I qualified at the very first practice in the morning, Friday morning, and then I had to catch a plane, come to the states, I raced the Hoosier Hundred, and then we came back. And I say we because I I got a uh, Bobby answer. I got him a ride with the BRM with oh, yeah, Louis yeah. Stanley, yeah. so yeah. we could do some <laughs> slipstreaming qualifying. So we, you know, it was very important to do that yeah, yeah. at Monza, especially. And uh, <laughs> it's so he and I both went over and back. And by the, when we came back, it was about an hour and a half before the race, and and my car was on the grid. I was really quick as you know the first pack, but but it was seventh on the grid still the time, so it was decent time, and um, and there was a protest, so they did not let us start. They did not let us start, oh. and uh, and so the protest actually was from Ferrari. So anyway, uh, so the first race actually was the the I think a weekend later was at the Watkins Glen. Yeah. The, which I never seen, and and I put the car on pole there, you know, next to Jackie Stewart, you know. Yeah. So very, uh, you know, special, very great beginning for me, uh, and that was uh, so wonderful for Colin to provide, you know, the third entry there. This podcast is brought to you in association with the Goodwood Revival, the only historic motor race meeting to be staged entirely in a period theme. From 2024, the Goodwood Revival will race only on sustainable fuel, a landmark moment for the celebration of iconic cars and fashion, inspiring us all with creative ways to rethink, repair, and rewear. The whole race list has just been released, so head to goodwood.com to find out more and to order early bird tickets. We'll see you there on the 6th to the 8th of September. We must talk about Ferrari because. Well, for obvious reasons. What did it mean to you, Mario? I mean, you'd already, by the time you got to Ferrari, you were, you'd already achieved an amazing amount. But what did it mean to you to race for him? Well, you can only imagine that, you know, it's uh, because that's when it all started. You know, at, uh, you know Ferrari, as you say, was, uh, was like a religion in, uh, in, in Italy uh, in the 50s, especially in and I grew up with that. And so uh, I, I first met uh, Mr. Ferrari in Monza when I did the 1000Ks in 1969 <clears throat> with Chris Amon as my uh, co-driver. And, uh, and then, then he, uh, I was doing, I couldn't do Formula One full-time. In fact, 1970, uh, Colin Chapman offered me a full-time ride and, uh, you know, with, with Lotus and I couldn't do it. The financial side, I just couldn't do it. I had the contracts here in the States and the, the earning power just wasn't there in Formula One. And um, and so I was doing it part-time whenever I could. And and I was uh, I was offered in 71 a uh, ride Ferrari. And of course, you know, uh, was, uh, I won, um, South Africa, you know, and uh, and 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 after that, he, you know, here again, he offered me full time, but I I couldn't do it. But just to do that, the opportunity to drive for them. Uh, but before even seventy one, 
I won Sebring with them. Yes, in the sports car. Twice, yeah. you know, in the sports cars. I had really good, good uh, fortune with them in, in the prototypes, uh, which again, you know, just uh, allowed me, gave me the opportunity to, to meet the man, you know, that was uh, bigger than life as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, you know, when I look back, you know, to be able to, uh, to have driven for the Colin Chapman, you know, Enzo Ferrari, it doesn't get any better than that. It really doesn't, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and as you could see that uh, I, when I, you know, look back at, uh, I count my blessings every day when I look back at the, those opportunities. What was your finest moment in a Ferrari, would you say? Sports cars or, or, or a Grand Prix car? Well, the Grand Prix is the ultimate. You know, it's, uh, it's a real thing. Uh, obviously, with Ferrari, uh, we won, with, you know, I won you know, a few, three or four races, mm -hmm. you know, prototypes and, and won good races, uh, you know, with great uh, teammates, you know, Jack Eakes was one of them, yeah. uh, as you know, you can imagine. So, but that was, but the winning, uh, you know, with Formula One, that was the ultimate. And then, and then the, the opportunity to drive a Ferrari is <clears throat> the last Formula One car that I ever drove by substituting um, Didier Pironi in 1982. Um, and then having the fortune to uh, to put her on pole like in Monza, uh, and here you know Monza, I, I was leading. In, you know I could have, I, I dropped. We had a problem with the turbo on the left bank in the last five six laps of the race, and I got overtaken. You know, but I still finished podium, and and so you can imagine the satisfaction that I derived from that. But the week before. Um, you know, when I was, when Mr. Ferrari asked me to, to, to do that and, uh, and I had already been out one full season out of Formula One because my last season full time was with Alfa Romeo in 81, mm -hmm. but I was asked, you know, to, uh, to substitute, you know, Didier, mm -hmm. uh, for the last two races of the season. And, uh, so I asked him, I said, uh, uh, I will need a test obviously because, uh, I had not driven a turbocharged engine at the time. And that was a big swing to the turbocharged engine with, you know, tremendous power. But, you know, as far as the power curve, it was just very, very, you know, just abrupt and so on. So anyway, uh, he said he gave me that uh, the weekend before at Monza. No, at uh, Maranello, you know, at, the track. At Fiorano, and, Fiorano. Yeah, Fiorano, yeah. Fiorano, Maranello, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and so I, uh, that day I did uh, 87 laps and uh, then they put a qualifying uh, uh, mode on the engine and I set a record that lasted eight years there at, uh, at Fiorano. And so I felt really, really good about the car. And then of course, you know, we put on pole there. So uh, here again, great satisfaction with, you know, with the, the man being right there, you know, always, you know, he, he would have his hand in the vest, you know, in his chest, and and he had that slight smile on him, you know, that uh, you wanted to see that. <laughs> so, you know, again, great moments. I tell you, some of these stories, they give me the goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, Mario, there's so much we could talk about, but we haven't got all day. Your relationship with Colin Chapman, uh, you told us a great story about how that started. Um, it, but it wasn't always, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't always an easy relationship between the two of you, was it? Oh, it was. I oh, it had was. no whatsoever. And, uh, but uh, he... Um, there were some difficulty with other drivers. As a matter of fact, I'll give you an example. Um, at one point, I don't know, uh, forget the actual issue, uh, but um, uh, with Ronnie, Ronnie Peterson, I mean, he gave him a bollocking like you've never seen. And, and I was a witness of this. And, uh, and he said, Mario said, I'm sorry you had to see this. And, and I said, Colin, 
if I ever see that, if you ever do that to me, I said, I don't think it will work. I said, I'll pack my bags. Terrible moment in that sense, but um, but I never, ever, ever, ever had a crossword with him. Uh, we didn't agree about certain aspects. He, you know, he would, uh, uh, he didn't like us as drivers to suggest anything technical about the car. Uh, and sometimes I would venture there and I, you know, I could see that it was, he was disturbed about it, but it was never anything you have to say, you know, anything detrimental, you know, something abolic into me type of thing. Um, so uh, I was fortunate about that. Again, you know, my, my relationship with him was uh, outstanding for sure. It's interesting. Yeah. What, what had Ronnie done wrong? Just uh, complaining and uh, and making some suggestions that uh, Colin didn't like, but there was something there that uh, I'm not, I, I don't precisely remember yeah, sure, the sure. issue, you know, but uh, it really lit up Colin in, in a very ugly way. Mm. And, uh, mm. and and he just, uh, uh, he gave him, a, he, la he was lashing at him like he was a little child. I didn't want to see that. I yeah. was uh, surprised, and uh, but uh, I, I had to uh, to speak up, you know, myself, you know. I said that because because he came to me and said, "I'm sorry, you had to see that." I said, "Well, I did see it." I said, and I certainly yeah. surprised me in a you know not yeah. in a positive way. Sure. Um, what what was it? What was the sensation like? when you first experienced the ground effect in, in the Lotus? Because, um, I mean, you cut your teeth on, on dirt tracks, on ovals, IndyCar. And now this is, this is like a space age car compared to, compared to that. What, what was it like the first time? Well, actually, uh, you know, as a driver, what are you looking for? You're looking for stability, downforce. That's what invites you to go quicker through the corners that's the whole idea and that's what we were achieving you know with uh, with the car design in that respect and uh and of course uh, that gives you confidence uh and you hope that uh you know your competition doesn't you know enjoy <laughs> that <laughs> type of thing as much uh there um there were not all of it was uh, an advantage you know obviously because there was some uh, some some other aspects of it, you know, that uh, uh, you were fighting with, you know, the car was not very quick down straight away, you know, and all that. But uh, but you could overcome it, you know, in some other ways. And uh, and as a driver, you know, it gives you tremendous confidence when you know that you could corner quicker than than yeah. your condition, you know. So um, yeah, that was you know the beautiful thing about it. Yeah. It's interesting because we now have uh, Grand Prix cars with so much downforce that some of the corners aren't corners anymore, and yeah. the car the car doesn't move. It just doesn't move at all. And I I don't know about you, but I, I, for me that's taken some of the spectacle out of it. Well, to some degree, except that uh, I mean, uh, from a driver's standpoint, and look at the g-force that you're experiencing. And, uh, and, and still, you know, I mean, you know, even it, like an IndyCar, even on, on a Nova, you, you experience up to six Gs. And still, you have to be proficient. You have to still be able to, uh, to react properly to everything. So it's not all that easy. You know, it may look like it's easy, you know, through the flat corner, like you can watch Silverstone, for instance, you know. And, uh, but uh, trust me, you know, it, uh, it gets your attention by any means. Yeah. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, okay, so... As everybody knows, everybody remembers, I can still see it like it was yesterday, you and Ronnie leading all those races, and you're the Formula One world champion. You must have had to pinch yourself. I mean, you know, if you think back of all the things we talked about today, and here you are, you made it. (laughs) Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, uh, let's put it this way. Talk about coming full circle, you know. Uh, watching my very first Formula One race in Monza at age 14, and then the dream started then and then winning the world championship there. The dream come true for sure, because, uh, and what was really premium to me was the fact that uh, I had to clinch the world championship where I saw the very first Formula One race at age 14. Uh, can you imagine? You could never design that. I could never dream about that, but that's that's where it happened. Unfortunately, it was not a happy day. It was a very sad, sad yeah. day. I mean, the day was fine because Ronnie was still alive, and it's but we could not celebrate uh, because obviously the, the next day we didn't have Ronnie anymore, and um, uh, yeah that it was as tragic as it could be, you know, and lost another teammate. And, um, and again, you know, so uh, it was a long time before we could actually celebrate that, but it's still, you know, it's with me forever, you know, as you can imagine. And, uh, and when I look back as to how it all came about, um, the great fortune to team up with Colin at the right time, uh, and all of those things, you know. So, um, again, yeah, when you look back, uh, you know, a lot to be thankful for. You, um, you went on racing hard and fast through your 40s and your 50s, uh, winning an IndyCar. What kept you hungry, Mario? What, 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 was, what was your motivation at that stage? Rob is pure desire to drive. I mean, uh, I just couldn't let go. I uh, pushed the envelope as far as I possibly could, you know, as you could see into my 50s, almost my mid 50s. And, uh, you know, I won my actually last champ car race in, at age 53, uh, you know, and so that kept me somewhat encouraged, if you will. But um, uh, somewhere along the line, I had to make a decision. It was the hardest decision of my entire life. Uh, but uh, the thing that uh, what prompted me to say, you know what, I have to say enough because uh, I wanted to have a good memory of my last mm-hmm. times as you know as, as active driver. I didn't want to overstay. I've seen some of my contemporaries and I will not mention names but overstay and then not have the best memories of their career and uh, and I think um, uh, because of that I have no regrets as to you know giving it up even though my wife knew that I would be a miserable human being to be around for a while uh, but uh, she even said I think you had a couple more years in you you know but uh, and that's why I, I did Le Mans, you know, three times after that and all that. But uh, um, and what kept me going also, you know, when I started driving a two-seater yeah. car, you know, that uh, 
it, uh, you know, just to have my hand in it. Uh, I did a uh, couple times even, you know, later on, like I was in my 60s, I did uh, uh, tests for Michael. In fact, the one test at Indianapolis, I wound up, you know, just flipping, you know, with it. It's, it was an incident there. Uh, but um, as you could see, I just really couldn't get, never get enough. And, and my desire, you know, for driving and so forth is still alive, believe it or not. The driving is the only thing that actually always interested me. Um, uh, I never had any ambition, you know, to be a team owner or anything. This is something that uh, my son, I could see, yeah. he saw it differently. You know, he actually stepped out of the cockpit and we were still at the very top of his, of his game at 42 years of age. Um, but uh, I never had those other ambitions and, uh, I'm certainly proud of him for what he's doing. The fact that, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, having his teams, you could see that he's going to be in the game a long, long time. And that gives me uh, all the reason to enjoy, to be part of the sport, because I still feel that I'm still part of it, you know. And um, so, but again, the driving is really what, you know, what meant everything for me. And, uh, um, and again, I, I, can only be so grateful for the fact that uh, I was spared. You know, I've had so many close calls, and yet I, um, on you, know, I only missed two races my entire career because of injuries. You know, you talk about being as the luckiest man alive. As a as a measure of how long your career lasted, you 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 were racing Michael by the. By the end of your, <laughs> that, that was that must have been. Um, I don't know. I tell me what was it like? You know, Rob, uh, that was to me. That was amazing how awesome that was. That up uh, to have that opportunity because we had really some great times together. You know, you know that Michael and I were on podium in an IndyCar race fifteen times. And we started, we started first and second, 10 times in IndyCar race on the, on the front row. And, and, and we finished first and second. And we started on pole, I should say, uh, 10 times. But we finished first and second five times. Amazing, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and so uh, it's amazing. And, and as a family in 1991 and 92, there were four of us, yeah. four of the family, my three, you know, myself and my two yeah. sons and my yeah. nephew, yeah. John, qualified for the Indy 500. Yeah. And in 1993, there was a full podium and Andretti's in Milwaukee, Michael won. My, uh, my nephew, John, second, I was third. And I tell you now, in 1986, at the Pocono 500, there was a, there was a, a supporting race there, uh, like a Formula Two, like called Indy Lights. Yeah. My son, Jeff, was on pole for that race. He won that race. Michael was on pole for the 500, and I won the 500. Between the three of us, we cleaned house that weekend. So how in the world could you ever hope for something like that to happen as a family? You know what I mean? When I look back, I say, oh, man, I have I been blessed? Yeah. Yes. Sport has been so, so wonderful to us. And we pay some price, you know, my uh, my brother and, uh, and, and my, uh, you know, my nephew, you know, this, uh, you know, just, uh, but, uh, sure. but my son, Jeff, you know, he, <clears throat> he, he had to retire, you know, he had tremendous injuries in 1992 at Indy. But, uh, yeah, yeah. but overall, though, I mean, you know, we can't complain. Not, not by any means. Absolutely not, no. Um, just quickly, can we, can we just quickly uh, talk about Michael? Because um, as you well know, Mario, nothing in Formula One is ever straightforward, to say the least. Um, and... Uh, his team appears to have the support of not only the FIA, but also Liberty Media, the rights holder. Um, it's actually the other teams that are, that are uh, posing a problem here. 
how confident are you that we will see Andretti in Formula One again? Um, because there are three races now in America. It's a big deal in America right now. And to be honest, the sport needs an American team uh, plus an American driver or two. Do you agree? Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, obviously, and, and I think the fact that we're bringing uh, the largest uh, auto manufacturer in the United States uh, for the very first time in Formula One with General Motors and the Cadillac brand, um, I think that should be something valuable for Formula One, period, you know, and uh, uh, I mean, let's face it, to have 22 cars rather than 20 on the grid, I don't think is a bad thing, <laughs> especially when the schedule is as ambitious as it is today in Formula One and transferring from continent to continent. And, uh, you know, there's always a chance that some of the teams, obviously, you know, will be overwhelmed and whatever. It's just extra even insurance. And the FIA, you know, as basically as amended, they allowed 24 cars, not just 20 to 24 cars to be, you know, could start a Formula One event. And so uh, I, I think it's gotta be reasonable, you know, for us to be able to, uh, to, to enter Formula One uh, by bringing, especially by bringing another manufacturer in there. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we're not coming there empty handed, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, I'm confident that uh, that the reason will prevail in this situation. I really am. Uh, we really have great support from the FIA, you know, looking, because they're looking into the future aspect of it. I mean, uh, all of this is not going to happen tomorrow. Uh, it's going to happen, you know, another year, two years down the road. So let's see, let's make sure that, you know, Formula One has a full grid, you know, uh, there are no guarantees. Any other team could say force majeure. Okay, we're pulling out. You know what I mean? It's uh, there's not that they that because they have ten teams in there that they have any absolute guarantees that they will be on the grid. Let's face it. That's the fact about any uh, any uh, stage. I mean any discipline in, in our sport. So that um, uh, like I said, I hope the reason proper reason prevails ultimately. Well, of course, a lot of this is about money. And if it does come come down to money, then it, it's almost certain to be sorted, I would say. Uh, well, we're, we're, you know, the, the, we know what we're facing. You know, we didn't go into this thing blind, you know, so we know what's, uh, uh, what the obligations are. And, uh, and so that's it. I mean, we're not asking for any special favors, that's for sure. And you want to be the first to drive the car, don't you? You better believe it. That's the promise that I have. I said, so it better happen sooner than later so I can be able to step in the car. Or more importantly, get out of it. <laughs> or get out of it too, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Would you just a couple of minutes left. Um, what's your uh, take on IndyCar right now? Uh, it, because we we just met we just talked about American drivers in Formula One. There there is one at the moment, as you know, um, yeah. but there are the traffic the other way is very busy. A lot a lot of European drivers coming to IndyCar. Um, for, as far as you're concerned, is this a good thing? Does this give IndyCar a broader appeal? And and uh, it appears to be in good health. Yeah. Well, I think it's a wonderful thing, you know, to to have a mix like that uh you know with uh, yeah and they're welcome and open arms as you know uh in indycar i think indycar is at a good place now as far as uh, the talent pool that uh, exists there and uh and the strength of the teams uh i mean they have uh, some of the races they have a field uh you know outside of indianapolis 33 they have a field of 27 to 28 cars you know and so you could see that uh, uh, the team's uh, situation is very solid and competition, I think, is awesome. It's very good. I mean, it's uh, 
uh, the quality of the teams is uh, at par uh, in every way. Uh, they're they're you know they're not stragglers so to speak, and that's a good thing for the series. Uh, every race has you know a lot of interest in that respect. Uh, so again, you know it's uh, IndyCar had been suffering since uh, the split way back in the nineties, which you know it's mm-hmm. another story. But uh, but I think it, uh, it it's you know it's gained a really good popularity you know in in this country and. Uh, and again, there are a lot of some talents there that uh, I know that uh, they have uh, some objectives, you know, and, and uh, ambitions to potentially, you know, at one point uh, to try to get, get into Formula One. And, um, you know, if, uh, you know, if Mike, with Michael's team, it would be one possibility because uh, uh, he would, um, he would feel the Formula Two team in Europe as well, you know, where he could bring some, a uh, young American talent there and, and uh, get them all pre- prepared properly, you know, to move up uh, to the top level. And, you know, he's done that. He created some champions, you know, in the Indie Light series, which is called the Next Series, you yeah, know, yeah. which is a very good series to prepare these young talents very, very well to step up to the top level. And he plans to do the same thing in Europe. And that's a good thing. That's a great commitment from yeah. this part. Uh, I think uh, the FIA embraces that, as you can imagine. Which uh, so anyway, uh, you know, Rob, motor racing is our life. We we have nothing else. That's what that's the way we've fed our families from day one. It's uh, that's what we live. That's what we breathe. Motor racing. That's it. That's our life. And um, I want it to be the rest of my life to enjoy going to Formula One, have our own base, not, you know, it's wonderful when I go there, I'm invited, you know, to some, with some of the other teams, um, um, uh, hospitalities, but I want to have my own because that's what I've had all my life, you know, as a driver and, uh, and Michael, I want Michael to be able to provide that for me, and that gave me reason to uh, to travel the world again. Great stuff, I like it. <laughs> and uh, talking of um, talking of uh, talent, and talking of uh, American veterans, your your old friend AJ Foyt is in the IndyCar pit lane. How, how are you two getting on these days? Is that all good now? <laughs> <laughs> it's all good now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, we've had our moments, obviously, you know, in the past, but uh, that's uh, pretty natural. But uh, right now we're best friends, I think. And, uh, that's a good, yeah, it's, it's awesome. We, uh, every time that we see each other, you know, the first thing he says to me, hey, man, I can't believe we're still standing. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, we have a lot to talk about. And uh, again, he is another one that uh, he um, he dodged many, many bullets along the way, like I did, and still here. A few bullets between the two of you as well, as far as I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, okay, look, um, our magazine, Motorsport, um, celebrating its 100th birthday. It's been around even longer than you, Mario. <laughs> I can't imagine that. <laughs> um, uh, what, what do you think the secret is? Uh, I mean, it's a monthly magazine. It's up against social media, satellite television, you name it. Um, but it's a, it's a lovely uh, magazine. It's been part of so many people's lives for so long. Um, wh- what is the secret of um, of staying you know, up, upping your game in, in this business of motor racing? Well, it's all about, you know, exposing the sport that we love and the fans love so much, uh, uh, you know, with periodically, you know, whether it's a weekly, whether it's a monthly, uh, you know, the fans, <clears throat> I look forward to that, you know, myself, like religion, you know, I just can't wait for the next, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the next one comes along and I'm sure that the, you know, thousands and thousands of uh, uh, other fans are the same way. And, and uh, there's nothing like seeing, having, having 
the displays, the photos, the story yeah. that you can look at over and over again. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's everything, you know, that uh, the sport, you know, would not exist without it. There's nothing like having that, you know, that thing in front of you, you know, and yeah, this uh, it's very meaningful, of course. Look, I can't thank you enough for giving us your time. It's fantastic. It's, I mean, as always, it's really great to talk to you. Well, it's my pleasure, Rob, and happy 100th anniversary. Centenary Stories with Mario Andretti, in association with the Goodwood Revival. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.